<laughs> Enjoyed that very much. All right, Revelation 21. Revelation 21 this evening. We will be looking at, in our prophecy series, looking at heaven and eternity. We have spent considerable amount of time uh, looking at the Millennial Kingdom, and uh, we will uh, be coming to the uh, end of this series. Uh, I don't know how many more weeks. Sometimes the, the sermons get broken up into <laughs> three or four uh, different messages, but uh, we will uh, see how far we get uh, tonight as uh, we are uh, coming down to the end of the book of Revelation and looking at these uh, topics of heaven and eternity. I know that there is a fair amount of interest in the end of the world. Some people think the end of the world is going to come with some catastrophic climate change, and so we need to, what, quit driving carbon fuel cars, we need to save the polar bears, we need to not have gas stoves, um, Let's see, what's one of the latest things I, I've, I've heard? Um, they even are trying now to keep cows from burping in some places. And I think there's even, in uh, some country, I think there's even going to be a tax on farmers or they're going to be taking some of their land uh, because the cows are emitting too much, there's too many carbon emissions. Um, just ridiculous things. People are thinking the end of the world is going to come if we don't have fewer people alive, 8 billion people on the planet, to some people, is way too many. We are the cause of all this carbon footprint, and we, if we don't start declining in our world population, if more people aren't dead, then we are going to be the ones who bring on this cataclysmic end to the world. And then there is all this zombie apocalypse stuff that you see. And these TV series about the living dead. And there's all these just fantasy, crazy ideas about zombies and uh, various ways in which people try to talk about how the world is going to end and who's going to cause it, what it's going to look like. And then there's the blame game. And people who try to point at conservatives and Christians and say, you are the cause, you're the one that's holding back the world from all this progress, when actually we see the evil and the wickedness in the world that seems to be more like pre-flood times, when every man was basically doing what is right in his own eyes, there was evil continually, violence throughout the earth, Every imagination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. It, it looks to me like we are more in pre-flood days than any other time. Um, we know that there could be revival. We know there could be another awakening. We pray that there will be. Obviously, we want a harvest of souls uh, before uh, Christ comes again, before the rapture. We, we want to see people saved, but we do seem to see a lot of types of activity and evil like before the flood. And, of course, the flood was a judgment. So our message is not too different than Noah's. 
I know Noah was preaching as a preacher of righteousness before the cross. We're looking back at the cross, but our message is really very much the same of a coming judgment. Look to Christ. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ because judgment is coming. And it is appointed unto man once to die and after this, the judgment. So we come to Revelation 21 and we are now at the end of the millennial kingdom. Remember, Satan has been bound in the bottomless pit in this abyss. Uh, Someone might refer to it as the jail prior to going to the permanent prison sentence. He's in the bottomless pit. He is allowed to come out of the bottomless pit. And he is able to deceive those who were born during the millennial kingdom who remained in an unsaved state. And we read in Revelation 20, in Revelation 20 that this group that he gathers in Revelation 20 and verse 8 gathered together to battle against Christ and the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. So again, hard to believe that people being born, there were longer lifespans during the millennial kingdom, but those parents, saved parents, they had offspring, and those children were born with a sin nature and had to receive Christ. And even in a a perfect kingdom, in the sense that Christ is ruling and reigning as the perfect king, even in that perfect kingdom, there were children being born who would not receive Christ as their Savior, who would not accept the King of the earth as their Savior. But if they rejected Him when He came the first time, is it any surprise that the wickedness of man's heart would not have some who would reject Him again the second time? We see that uh, at the end of the Millennial Kingdom. Those who were born during the Millennial Kingdom who refused to trust Christ, hard hard to imagine that they would reject Him as their king, as their savior, living under his kingdom as he rules and reigns here on the earth, and yet they turn, and Satan is, bound, is, is loosed, excuse me, from being bound in the bottomless pit. He deceives those who had not trusted Christ as their savior. And then we read there in verse number 9 of Revelation 20, And they went up on the breadth of the earth, encompassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So unbelievers of all times then are judged at the great white throne judgment. And we spent some time on this uh, last week already. There in Revelation 20, in verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So if their name was not found written in the book of life, they then were cast into the lake of fire, and they were judged according to their works. And we see there in verses 13 and 14, The sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man. Again, we see it according to their works. And death and hell were cast into a lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the judgment of the unsaved. 
and their judgment is according to their works. I know that this is hard for us to comprehend. I know that hell, the lake of fire, is not a popular topic in the world today. And it's a sobering reality. We have a holy God. God has sent his son Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty for our sins, and he is calling for all men everywhere to repent, to be saved. But those who reject Jesus Christ as their Savior, they cannot enter into heaven. They cannot enter into the presence of God as sinners, unsaved, not clothed in the righteousness of Christ. How could God, a holy God, allow sin into heaven? Look at what sin has done here on the earth. Look at the corruption that sin has brought to this earth. Do we want sin in heaven? No way. It's impossible. God is holy. If we are not clothed in the righteousness of Christ, having been justified by faith, his righteousness credited, imputed to our account, then our name would not be found in the book of life. Only those who are saved will enter into heaven in their glorified state with the very presence of sin finally being eradicated, finally being gone. But the great white throne judgment is for those who have rejected Christ as their Savior and they are judged according to their works. Again, we can go to Matthew chapter 11 and we can read where cities in Israel are going to be under greater judgment at the great white throne judgment than even Sodom and Gomorrah. Because they had the very Son of God, Jesus Christ, walk in their midst and preach and do miracles in their streets and in their synagogues, and they rejected him. And hell is going to be hotter for them, having had that much light, that much truth told to them, than even Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a hard thing for us to comprehend, for us to get our minds around. But the amount of light we are responsible for, the amount of truth that we are responsible for, again, the burden of those of us who grow up in Christian homes, who go to Christian schools or go to a good Bible-preaching church, who hear the gospel on a regular basis and yet reject it, there is a greater responsibility for that truth than even someone who might be in some primitive place in the world who only has general revelation and very little of actual special revelation. Their rejection of Christ, they're still accountable if they do not turn to Christ in saving faith in some primitive place of the world where there's much darkness. They die and go to hell having never trusted Christ, but someone who dies and goes to the great white throne judgment, having rejected Christ from a home where they were brought to church, where they were even taken or grew up in a place where they received maybe a Christian education, maybe even went to Bible college, maybe even in some cases, hell is going to be very hot for men who stand behind a pulpit in a church, having never truly received Christ false teachers, apostates, there is a great judgment for those people. 
I know we talk about Adolf Hitler and Lenin and Stalin and Pol Pot and some of the other wicked, ungodly people, serial killers, criminals. We can name probably dozens, if not hundreds. Are they going to, who have never trusted Christ, who never turned from their sin, are they going to experience a, a hell and a torment? Sure. But those who have heard the gospel frequently throughout their life and yet rejected it, or even have preached some measure of the gospel, but were false teachers, were apostates, their hell is going to be extremely hot. And again, I realize that's not popular preaching. I realize that there have been some popular preachers out there who have written books saying that the Bible is wrong about hell, trying to rewrite, reinterpret, or eliminate passages about hell. But those preachers are dead wrong. Jesus actually taught, taught more about hell than he did about heaven in his earthly ministry. And hell is a real place. The unsaved are judged according to their works. They're cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. This is not, again, there's teaching out there that there is annihilation that there is the end of the unsaved, and they are annihilated. But let's go back to Revelation 20, and we see there, And death and hell were cast into lake of fire, verse 14. This is the second death. We go up to verse 13. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. We go back up even further to verse 10, the lake of fire and brimstone. We go to... Uh, uh, Luke 16, and we see that the rich man was in torment. He lifted up his eyes, being in torment. So this death is a spiritual death. This is the second death. They had a physical death, the first death. Now they have a second death. And hell is a place of torment. The rich man died and he lifted up his eyes in hell, in Hades, being in torment. This is not annihilation. This is not eradication. This is not what the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, that you get one more chance at the great white throne judgment, one more appeal to be saved. And if you reject him then, then you poof, you just evaporate, you disappear, you are incinerated. That's not what the Bible teaches. The rich man knew that he was there and he was there to stay. And there wasn't a party with beer and rock music and heavy metal and all the things that people try to say that the Grammys tried to celebrate with all the wicked perversions. That's not hell. Hell is not a party in the abyss of the earth with a bunch of beer and heavy metal rock music and all the friends having a dance party. That's not hell. Hell is a place of torment. It is a place of fire. I have burned my hands, each of my hands. I was a silly, ignorant, first or second grade boy. And I just told an illustration last week of throwing a rock no, Wednesday night, I told an illustrator, throwing, I was a dumb little first grade boy. I just, first, second grade boy. I just was. Dumb things. I, 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 love, I love fire to this day. I, I enjoy fire. I love a campfire. I love 
putting the, the, the stick in there. I, I love a good campfire. And we had a fire pit at our house in Florida, out behind the back fence, we had a fire pit. That's where our trash and everything, and, and I, I guess back then in Pensacola, we could, we could do that. Nowadays, there's ordinances and, and things. But maybe those of you who are outside the city ordinances, maybe you burn whatever, you, you throw you know, whatever you want in there. Well, we would throw all of our uh, excess trash and stuff in that, and I would go out there with the shovel and I would stoke the fire. And my parents warned me about the fire, never being out there when they weren't around, all that kind of thing. And I played with matches. I'll confess, I played with matches. And I went out one time and I was burning the, the leaves on the trees, the bushes down at the very bottom, right by the ground. I was lighting the matches and I was burning the, the leaves. And I didn't get caught. Yes, I got away with it. I don't know how many times I did this. Well, one day, I went out to the fire pit. My dad had gotten the fire going. He went inside, and they had warned me not to be out there, all that kind of thing. And I took that shovel, and I was out there stoking the fire. And in my stupidity, I got the shovel caught in the fence and just absentmindedly reached down to to pull that shovel out of the fence, and I stuck my hand right on that hot shovel. And uh, I think it was my right hand. Grabbed that with my right hand. Of course, instantaneously realized, oh, that was a really dumb thing to do. So I tried to play it off, you know, went back in the house, and my, my fingers started to shrivel up. And I was in so much pain, I started crying. And my mom, my mom said, what is wrong with you? And I held my hand out, and she went, she just went, oh, what happened? What, what's wrong? And she grabbed my hand, and she stuck underneath some, some cold water and started running water. And I mean, I, my, hand, my fingers were just awful. And I ended up going to the emergency room, and I remember sitting there in the emergency room, and I was just crying and crying and crying. My hand hurt so bad. And then they stuck my hand in this liquid, and I had to hold my hand in that liquid. And then I had blisters for weeks big blisters, and I had to wrap them up with Band-Aids. I felt so stupid for all those weeks. And then one time in Indiana, we had moved to Indiana, and my mom and dad had a heater in the living room, and I was running around the living room, probably playing basketball on my Nerf hoop or something, and I tripped, and my hand landed right on the top of that heater, and I burned my other hand. And my mom and dad, they still had that liquid from back in Pensacola, Florida, and they pulled it out of the closet and stuck my hand in it. And it was much better than the first time. That was painful. If you've ever burned yourself on an oven or a cookie sheet or anything, if you've ever experienced any kind of burn, you understand how extremely painful that is. First, second, and third degree burns, people who have experienced that, it is extremely painful and difficult to recover from. There is an eternal fire in hell. I cannot imagine that amount of pain, and it never goes away. There's no liquid to put the hands in. What did the rich man say? If you could even take the tip of your finger, put it in cool water, and touch my tongue to give me comfort from this pain. Mark 9 describes the kind of fire that is found in hell. Mark 9 in verse 43. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire 
that never shall be quenched. Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. He goes on to say, And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. We have people all around who will gladly have two hands and two eyes, and I know this is allegorical. I realize this is an illustration, but Christ is saying it is better to have a hand cut off, to have an eye plucked out, and go into heaven, halt or maimed or blind, than it is to go into hell where there is eternal fire, there is eternal torment. And people are willing to give up heaven, give up eternity, give up forgiveness of their sin, justification by faith. They're willing to give all that up, having gained the whole world, but having lost their own soul for all eternity. Dr. Bob used to, in chapel, on a regular basis, he would have us at the beginning of chapel, after we did the creed and the songs, he would have us say with him, the most sobering reality in the world today is that people are dying and going to hell today. And we would say, and the whole amphitorian would say that. You talk about a sobering reminder. The unsaved will enter a place of torment, a place of eternal fire, and the worst reality is a separation from the personal presence of God. Now, God is omniscient, God is omnipotent, and God is omnipresent. We understand that. That doesn't change the character of God but there will no longer be the the abiding presence, the personal presence of God. It won't be there. It'll be gone. What the unsaved don't realize right now, and those of us who who are saved, hopefully everybody in this room has trusted Christ as their Savior, we understand the Holy Spirit indwelling us in the personal presence of God. The unsaved, before they get saved, we as unsaved people, before we got saved, we look back as saved people now and we remember having that hopelessness, having that emptiness, having that disregard for what is really important, what really matters, living for ourselves. But in hell, that emptiness, that hopelessness, that guilt, that regret that conscience that has been seared or that has been calloused, it will be alive and well for all eternity. What am I saying? I I don't know everything. I know a little bit from what God's Word has said, from what God has revealed to us in His Word, from the little window we have into the into Abraham's bosom, heaven, and the, the rich man being in, in Hades and hell from Luke 16. What, what was the rich man experiencing? Regret, guilt, hopelessness, emptiness, 
and it was going to plague him for all eternity. God, in his general grace, has allowed the unsaved to have rain, to have harvest, to have lots and lots of joys in life, in his mercy. The unsaved could storm a court this afternoon. Not that everybody at that court today was unsaved. That's not what I'm saying. But even the unsaved could enjoy enough of life to celebrate a win over a number one team and enjoy some of those fun things in life. Those will all be gone in hell. It's over. The joys of life are no longer there. No joy of having a baby born and seeing that child. None of the joys of seeing the flowers, the grass grow, and the harvest. None of the joys of seeing a bright sunshine and a beautiful sunset. Gone. For all eternity, there is nothing but guilt and regret and emptiness and hopelessness. God is no longer present and active in their life. Do we realize that Christ being lifted up calleth all men unto himself? There is a constant calling. We talk about the conscience. We talk about creation. We talk about the soul. Cast in hell in the lake of fire, the unsaved no longer have that. There's no longer the creation general grace. There's only an uninhibited conscience and there is an eternal soul that is now afflicted in torment for all eternity, having rejected Christ and being outside of the personal presence of God forever. Again, I, I'm not trying, to, I'm not trying to, to be a hellfire and brimstone preacher. As a matter of fact, some of the hellfire brimstone preachers don't really say a whole lot. They blow a lot of heat and stomp a lot on the, on the ground, but sometimes they don't really say much. Okay? I'm not trying to be rude and crude. I'm just trying to declare what the Word of God says regarding hell, regarding eternity. I don't want anybody to go to hell. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Who would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And He gave His Son... And he is constantly calling. Every time there is a trial and a tribulation in an unsaved person's life, God is saying, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Do we realize that? I, I can't imagine the, the, the catastrophic things going on in Turkey where now they're saying 25,000 people are dead. 25,000 plus. What makes them any different than five? college kids last fall who died out west, high school kids and graduates who died out west on a desert road who were going to visit a college and somebody came across the center line with a blown out tire and killed all those kids. What separate, who was the worst sinner? We're not saying either are, are, are worse than the others, but except we... Repent, we shall all likewise perish. So every difficulty and hardship that comes in the unsaved person's life is another way in which God is saying, come unto me. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
And as believers, the trials, the difficulties, and the hardships, they should draw our attention to the Lord and increase our faith and strengthen our faith and purge our life and confess our sin and look to the Lord for direction. The unsaved in the lake of fire in hell, all of those calls, all that general grace, it's gone. There will only be the guilt of the conscience, the pain of eternal fire and torments. And the, the regret and the woe of having rejected Christ. I don't know how much memory there will be. I don't know. There seems to be in Luke 16, among the rich man, there seems to be some amount of memory. So will it be a torment of sitting in a church service and hearing the gospel and rejecting it? Will it be the torment of a memory of sitting with a mom or dad who shared the gospel and pleaded for them in tears and agony to repent and they never did? I don't know. I don't know how much memory there will be. But it will be a torturous torment. And people say, well, how could a good God send anybody to hell? God doesn't send anybody to hell. Our sin that we have chosen to commit against a holy God and our choice to reject The free gift of salvation is what sends us to hell. It's our own choice. It's not a good God. A good God has provided the way of salvation. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sin. We are in a day of great information and data. We have the gospel at our fingertips. We have access to biblical resources. We have access to the truth. Everywhere we go. In our world today with the internet and technology. And yet some people choose to reject over and over and over and over. I'm one of those kinds of guys, sometimes I'll read the comment sections underneath articles. I get so mad, why do I keep reading the comment sections? And I read the comment sections after an article where someone was talking about a Christian who was public with their faith. And I read in the comment section that Jesus is a loser. Jesus is a failure. God has never done anything for anybody. And I think, not only did it make me mad, but then I had to think, that person is a soul who's on their way to an eternal hell. I'm getting ready to preach tonight on hell, and there's people who are on the internet as a Christian publicly demonstrates their faith and takes a stand for what is right, and they're mocking them and they're cursing our God and our Savior. And as much as that makes me mad, I also have to remember that such would I be if not for the grace of God that saved me. And I think of classmates who grew up in the same type of home, Christian homes, went to the same chapels, went to the same Christian school, Heard the same revival meetings. Heard the preachers come to our church. I had the, had the blessing of going to a good Bible preaching church where I sat in mission conf- missions conferences every year. Every year we had an evangelist come through. I am blessed to have heard great preachers and great missionaries for all of my life. And some of my own classmates who grew up in the same kind of environment, they to this day still reject Jesus Christ. In the occasional times that I come across them on social media, they're still cursing God. What an absolute shame. I just can only pray that they will 
turn from their sin. They know the truth. They heard it. They heard the same message as I heard. And I hate to think that the reality could be that they will one day face the judgment. And their hell will be very hot because they have been exposed to a tremendous amount of light and rejected it. It's a sobering thought. It's a sobering reality. So that brings us to 2 Peter 3, and we'll close here. 2 Peter 3, and uh, we've been in Revelation 20 and 21. We'll go back to 2 Peter chapter number 3. This, this is true climate change. Okay? I'm not afraid of carbon footprints. I'm not, a care, I'm not afraid of any sun monster. I'm not afraid of the shores of North America having a few more inches of water. I would think that if climate change were as bad as they say, that the Golden Gate Bridge would have sunk into the Pacific Ocean by now. The Everglades would be completely overwhelmed by water. We wouldn't even have the peninsula of Florida, or at least it'd be shrunk down to a little noodle, you know, a little, little piece of land, right? Think about all the places around the world that continue to do just fine, high tourism to some of the most beautiful places on the, on the planet that are on shorelines that have not receded, but because some glacier has melted a little bit and the sea level has gone up a little bit and the atmospheric temperatures, in their many cases, they're false models, because really, how do you take the temperature of the atmosphere? What do you do? Do you shake the, the ther- thermometer and stick it up? Right? I know there's satellites and all that kind of thing, but really, how do you get a true atmospheric temperature? And besides, Mount Vesuvius, before they had all the technology today, Mount Vesuvius burped out I don't know how much carbon. Somebody did the estimate of the amount of carbon that Mount Vesuvius burped out when it uh, erupted, and they estimated that it it gave out more carbon emissions than, I forget how many cars on the highways for how many decades. Well, who's going to go back and tell Mount Vesuvius, you know, how bad it was for offending the sun god, you know? It's just ridiculous. God tells us how the earth will come to an end. It's right here, 2 Peter chapter number 3. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The call is for us to live holy lives because this, this earth is going to go away. And it's going to go away with the fiery judgment of God. In, 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 in a sense, we have to talk about it as a consummation. Because there is a new heavens and a new earth. We can even talk about it in terms of restoration. Paradise lost. Garden of Eden sin. Paradise regained. All things become new. That's going to be a glorious day. I'm not worried about climate change. You shouldn't be worried about climate change. Am I saying go out, change your oil, and dump it in Wildcat Creek? No. Am I saying that we should be pouring our antifreeze in the sink at home or whatever? No, I'm not saying we should be poor stewards of our environment. But God makes it very clear when he's done, when the millennial kingdom is over and the great white throne judgment is complete, he will make all things new. A new heaven 
and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And I don't know about you, I'm looking forward to that day because I need a lot of newness. <laughs> I'm ready for a new body. <laughs> I'm ready to get rid of psoriasis. I'm ready to get rid of contacts. I'm ready to get rid of the aches and the pains. I'm ready to get rid of cancer and all of the afflictions. I'm ready to get some hair. I hope I have some celestial hair. <laughs> I hope I get that back. We have so much to look forward to. Do we not have a hope? And we have to declare this message. Because there is the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And in Christ, we will experience this newness. And we will, by the grace of God and to his glory, and we will sing his praises forever and ever for all eternity for all that he has done for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the glorious truths found in the word of God that give us a hope. Lord, it's, sober, it's a sobering reminder to think that there are people who will die and go to hell that will experience the fiery pits of the lake of fire for all eternity and be in torment. Lord, we don't want anyone to go there. We don't want any, anyone that we know, any loved one, any family member. Lord, we're burdened for the lost. We support missions. We, we pass out tracts. We share the gospel as often as we can because we want people to be saved. And we desire for them to come to the Lord. And Lord, I pray that we will see a harvest of souls even right here as a result of the witness that, Lord, you give us. That, Lord, we will see people come to Christ as a result of uh, the lighthouse of Berean Baptist Church. But, Lord, we pray that you will help us to live for you even in the midst of this dark world, looking, Lord, to the glories of heaven and living in holiness, as we were just reminded in Second Peter 3, that in light of all of this that you were going to do, we are to live holy lives, and we're to live in the light of your coming. May we do that even this week. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Pray that you will continue to do your work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.